Greetings and salutations, everybody, all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is yet another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I, as always, am your humble yet glorious host, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, Michael Shibley, with you here. Hope you guys have had an amazing week. Man, we've got another jam-packed show. Talking NFL Combine, talking about just All kinds of sports. Craziness. We've got tennis. We've got pro wrestling, of course. Another uh, legend of the rock and wrestling uh, revolution back in the 80s passing away. And, of course, we've even got controversy in the world of bridge doing a story for my dad, a tournament bridge player out there. So, again, we've got plenty of huge stuff to talk about. But first, we've got to dive in to the trek to March Madness, as boy, things are heating up in the world of college basketball as the calendar turns to March here, just the madness just starts. It's great. I love this time of year, especially when my beloved Tennessee Vols are right in the thick of things. Right now, according to Joe Lenardi's Bracketology on ESPN, you've got your top four seeds right now, Gonzaga, UVA, uh, Kentucky, and Duke. They're, uh, those are your four top seeds going in right now, but really when you look at it, and you look, Gonzaga and UVA probably locks right now. They're just going to sit on that one line. I don't think they're going to go anywhere, uh, even with stuff that happens, especially to UVA. Gonzaga is not going to lose again until you get to the NCAA tournament. If they lose in their conference tournament, I would be shocked, beyond shocked. They've been killing people. But then you've got Kentucky and Duke are definitely vulnerable, and uh, North Carolina and Tennessee are right in position to do that and move up to that number one line. Big story, of course, with Duke is the fact that Zion Williamson has still been out with that knee injury. They're saying he'll be ready definitely for the ACC tournament, but Duke still has one game left on their schedule in the regular season, and that's at the Dean Dome against North Carolina. So we are going to be really interested to see what's going to happen there. It looks like, according to reports as of right now, that he's not going to play in that game, which I think is huge. And then also the fact that Duke almost lost to Wake Forest last night. Wake Forest had a shot go in and out right at the end that would have won that game. And Wake Forest is not a very good team. Of course, they're playing with nothing to lose, so why not? But you have to see that UNC is in prime position, especially if they beat Duke again. Yes, it's without Zion Williamson, but then happen to go into the ACC tournament and win it, especially if Zion is playing for Duke at that point. You've got to think that North Carolina is going to move up to the one line. And then, of course, my beloved Tennessee Vols are right in the thick of it, still trying to get that one seed. Of course, we had a great send-off last night uh, as of this recording for Tennessee seniors, of course, Kyle Alexander, Admiral Schofield, Brad Woodson, and Lucas Campbell. They played their last home game in Thompson Bowling Arena, and it was a win 71-54 to against Mississippi State. You look at this senior class and what they've accomplished – especially, of course, Alexander and Schofield. Uh, Woodson and Campbell have been walk-ons, but they have you know, been an, an integral part of you know, practices and being a part of this team. Woodson even got a three-ball right at the end of the game last night, which was great to see. The crowd loved it. The players, the bench exploded like they just won the national championship uh, when Woodson hit that three-ball. So that was amazing. But you look at this underclassman or this this graduating senior class as underclassmen, uh, they were thirty one and thirty five their first two seasons. Now, right now, they are 
right, the record right now is upperclassmen as juniors and seniors. They're 53 and 12. And of course, they can get more wins as the season wraps up here. So that is wonderful. This season, Tennessee wrapped up their 18 and 0 at home, beating all the teams by more than 10 points except one. So that's something to consider. It was only that Alabama game that Tennessee had a close one there. And this is now 26 consecutive home wins for the Big Orange. So that has been great. Tennessee is back and playing like a top team in the SEC and in perfect position to get a back-to-back SEC championship. Uh, they have just since we last recorded the podcast, Tennessee. They won at Ole Miss seventy three seventy one with Grant Williams getting the big shot there at the end, and Admiral Schofield taking that charge again. An unbelievable image there. It, it, it was great, but don't ever do that again, Admiral. <laughs> Far enough away from the basket. Was it the right call? Yes, just like against LSU with the Grant Williams foul. That was also the correct call, but still. Wow, that was amazing to see it called at that time. And then, of course, the atmosphere just be- went insane as Tennessee beat Kentucky and got some revenge 71-52 to on Saturday. The atmosphere was amazing. Jordan Bone has been playing just amazing. He's the best point guard in the conference. That was great as Tennessee gets some revenge there. And, of course, the win over Mississippi State 71-54. to And those are three tournament teams that Tennessee has beaten over uh, the last week. And, uh, of course, yes, Reed Travis has been out for Kentucky the last couple of games, but still, a Kentucky team shouldn't be losing by 19, even though it's on the road. Yes, I think the crowd at Thompson Bowling Arena had a big effect on that. I think it was just amazing. Kentucky was making it look like passes that would they would have gotten away with it back in their AAU days, but not against a very veteran team like Tennessee. Jordan Bone was playing out of his mind, an incredible running the point. It is just, these last few games have just been great, and it shows Tennessee is back in consideration for that one line in a one seed, and also, of course, to win the SEC outright. You look to, the big thing has been points in the paint. Tennessee has had 60 points in the paint in the last two games, which has been amazing. And again, Jordan Bone, has I, I can't stress enough how awesome he has been all season long, but he came to the forefront, 27 points against Kentucky, and he was perfect from three. So you look at this, and everything's coming into form. A lot of people, and I told you don't do this, but a lot of people were worried that the sky was falling when Tennessee lost at Kentucky and then lost at LSU. Again, Tennessee's three losses have been to Kansas on a neutral floor in overtime, at Kentucky, and then at LSU in overtime. So again, the sky's not falling. Tennessee is right where they should be, and it's going to be a great atmosphere. Tennessee's got one game left. They're at Auburn, and that's Saturday at noon on ESPN. So an early tip there for Tennessee. If they can win that game, they will at least clinch a share of the SEC regular season championship. LSU, as of this recording, still has uh, a game... Both Kentucky and Tennessee have finished, uh, they've both got one game left. Kentucky is versus Florida, which they should win because that's at home in Rupp Arena. Tennessee, as I mentioned, is at Auburn. LSU, still two games left on their schedule. They are at Florida tonight, and Florida, again, is fighting for their tournament lives. So we'll see what dynamic that goes. Uh, And if LSU loses that game, then Tennessee 
has at least clinched a share of uh, the SEC championship there. If they win against Auburn, they win it outright. So that's wonderful. LSU finishes at Vanderbilt or home versus Vanderbilt, which they should destroy. So you shouldn't worry about that. The big one, of course, is LSU at Florida tonight as of this recording. So that's great. Uh, just a wonderful atmosphere, and it was at an atmosphere with something different in it, too, at Thompson Bowling Arena. While all the respect was being paid to the seniors, and they got a wonderful ovation both with, before the game and after the game, Schofield and Alexander talking to the crowd and thanking them afterwards. There was something else going on at the game as well, as there was a student protest happening uh, leading up to Thompson Bowling Arena and also in Thompson Bowling Arena as uh, the students uh, at Tennessee... A group of about 50 to 60 students wore all black clothing uh, to the game and standing right there in the student section. And uh, what what they're doing is they were protesting a, uh, a, a photo that had come out on Instagram that it was a screen capture of a couple of, they are said to be UT students that has not been fully confirmed yet, but everybody is very... Uh, certain that they are, uh, and the two of the students in the photo were wearing uh, makeup to show that they were in blackface. They're wearing blackface. Bottom line, these students were in blackface, and the caption uh, there on uh, Snapchat said, uh, this is what it said, the, uh, I'm quoting, we four racial uh, equality boys about to get this free college now that I'm black, let's go, hashtag Black Lives Matter. So the students were very upset that this happened with, again, other students wearing blackface, which, bottom line, no matter what argument you have, you shouldn't be wearing blackface. If you need to know why, just spend five seconds on Google and think about it before you jump in and argue about it. You shouldn't be in blackface. That is not the correct way to go about things. If you've been paying attention to anything going on with the state of Virginia in their the, the governorship and people below him, blackface, bad idea. Don't do it. It's ridiculous. Shouldn't do it. If you understand anything about history, you should realize why that's a bad idea. So don't do that. But again, the students at UT, uh, the argument, of course, uh, they talk about, uh, the students were unhappy, of course, about the photo and the caption, but they're upset about what they believe the administration is just kind of saying, you know, it's about First Amendment rights and the fact that the students are probably not going to be expelled. And again, you can, I, I'm a First Amendment absolutist, so when you have these type of things, yes, but there should be, you look at freedom of expression, they should still be able to go and protest the fact that they are not happy that this is happening on campus. So these students, again, they were at the game, they wore black, uh, they sat for the national anthem, which again is the flashpoint that everybody will focus on because they can't see past that at all. And uh, they chanted some different things, you know, hey, hey, ho, ho, racism's gotta go, and some other things, and raised fists. Um, so those things were happening. They were not doing it 
uh, during game action. I saw a lot of them when the camera was cutting to the student section. These students, when things were happening, they were standing and applauding and cheering with the rest of the student section. So again, they were not disrupting the game itself at all and giving proper respect to all the Vol seniors on senior night. So that's something you definitely have to pay attention and consider when you look at all of this compared to what happened at the end of the Tennessee Ole Miss game where Ole Miss students were upset about that charge call and the way the game ended, that they started throwing things on the court. It's like, what image would you rather have? Students doing a nonviolent protest or students throwing things onto the court because they're unhappy with a game result? So just take five seconds and think about it. This has been a theme the past couple of shows here. But again, if you think about things for a sec and look past everything else, context is key here, ladies and gentlemen. So just remember that before you just get angry and start writing. By the way, you can comment. You disagree with something I say. You want to debate me on any of this stuff. You can hit me up on Twitter at Michael underscore Shively. I would be happy to talk about this with you more. But that's my view on everything. So, again, I thought the students did nothing wrong. They were there protesting. Again, that they, and again, I see this protest. We've talked about this compared to Colin Kaepernick and all these different things. Just use, again, your brain just a little bit and think about things before you just go off on a tangent with all of this. The Tennessee students did not disrupt the game at all with any of these chants. Tennessee won the game handily, so again, don't don't look at this for more than what it was with a nonviolent student protest about things going on on UT's campus. Switching gears real quick while we're with Tennessee, the Lady Vols, whew, it's been it's been a tough road. It has been a season pretty much unlike any other for the Lady Vols. They lose uh, versus Vanderbilt at home to, in Thompson Bowling Arena for the first time ever. Vanderbilt had been 0-33 in Thompson Bowling Arena, and this isn't a very good Vanderbilt team either. And they defeated Tennessee 76-69, and then the Lady Vols were able to rebound and get a huge win at Ole Miss, 81-56. The Lady Vols are the 8th seed going into the SEC tournament, which again is just amazing when you stop and think about that for more than two seconds. They are playing LSU. That game is happening at noon on the SEC Network on Thursday. And again, this could be a game to see who's going to make the NCAA tournament because according to ESPN's uh, bracketology for women's basketball, Tennessee is in the tournament right now, but they are right now the last team in as an 11 seed, and LSU is the first team of the first four out. So the fact that those two teams are playing each other I think is big and could determine which one of those teams gets in uh, the NCAA tournament and which one's playing in the women's NIT. So you look at that. If Tennessee wins, I think they're in, no problem. Even if they lose, depending on how they lose, and I don't want them to lose, obviously, I think just the legacy of the fact that the Lady Vols have never missed an NCAA tournament, and I know you're not supposed to look at legacy, you're not supposed to look at anything in the past, you're just supposed to look at this season, it still would be just the weirdest thing to see an NCAA tournament without the Lady Vols in it. So hopefully the Lady Vols just beat LSU and we don't have to worry about it, but we'll just see what happens. And of course, we'll break all that down in the coming episodes of Modern Day Gladiators. 
Meanwhile, back to college basketball, the men's side real quick. We will, for the first time, have a Big 12 champion, and it's not Kansas for the first time since 2004. Kansas has won outright or at least a share of the Big 12 title for 14 years straight. And that is going to be not the case this year for the first time again since 2004 after losing 81-68 to at Oklahoma. Texas Tech or Kansas State is going to be your champ or they're going to share it. They've got one game left. It has been a rocky road for Kansas as, of course, they lost Yudoka Azabuke to injury. Of course, that happened after they beat Tennessee. So, again, this is a different Kansas team from the one that beat Tennessee in overtime uh, back in November. So again, keep that in mind. Also, starting guard uh, uh, uh or LeGerald Vick. I can't even read my own handwriting. Starting guard LeGerald Vick took a leave of absence back in February. So that's been a big issue there. And of course, Bill Self has been the first to credit the fact that it's not just been the fact that Kansas has been losing, and you can't blame it all on the team itself. They've gone through a lot of uh, issues and diversity, but Texas Tech has won eight straight games to wrap up the regular season, and Kansas State started 9-2 and two in conference play. So both of those teams, yes, Kansas has not been the same Kansas that they have been the last 14 years, but these two teams, uh, Texas Tech and Kansas State, also went out and won it. As I always say, to be the man, you got to beat the man, and that's what happened here. So congratulations to those two teams for knocking off the Jayhawks for the first time since whoo, 2004 when I was still a senior at UT. That's how long ago that's been. One of my favorite things as we wrap up this main segment here, one of my favorite things about this time of year and March Madness is watching all of these small conference tournaments all day. You've got them on ESPN, ESPNU, ESPN2. All the ESPN networks have these games and these teams, especially most of them, one-bid leagues where you win the conference tournament, you're in. You lose and your season's either over or you're playing in the NIT. So this is just a wonderful atmosphere in these small arenas with the students and everything going crazy. And most of these teams, of course, aren't going to get past the first round in the NCAA tournament. But it's awesome to see. These are great moments all the time. The games are always tight and competitive and amazing. But just to make some real quick picks here for everybody, for all these ones, the Ohio Valley Conference. Um, I'm picking Murray State and uh, John Morant. Again, he could be a surefire NBA prospect. It would be great to see him in the NCAA tournament. If they win the tournament, they're in. If they win their conference tournament, if not, they might get an at-large bid. And again, I've been pushing for the reason you would think the argument originally was the expansion to 68 teams to allow this first four to get more teams in was to allow some of these smaller conference schools to get in. But it seems like they've always put in teams from the bigger conferences that have losing conference records and just no reason to really see them in there. But yet they're the ones that are making it in instead of some of these smaller conferences. Like if Belmont wins, because they're the they're the co-champs with Murray State. Say Belmont wins the conference tournament. It to me it would be way more exciting to see Murray State and John Morant in this game because I think they could pull off an upset compared to maybe like Clemson or even like if Florida loses the last two games and they're just kind of really on the bubble, I would rather have one of these smaller schools get in. To me, that's more exciting, especially in these first few rounds of play. So I'm going to go my pick again. Murray State with John Morant. I've got the Racers winning the tournament outright. With Campbell, 
in the Big South tournament, uh, Big South conference. I've got the Campbells of Campbell University and their star player, Chris Clemens, who is, I think, up to around sixth or fifth on the all-time NCAA Division I scoring list. So it would just be great. Again, these great players, to see them in the big dance would be just amazing, even if it's for just one shining moment. Uh, the Atlantic Sun Conference, I've got Lipscomb winning, and again, they could be an at-large team if things go right and they don't win this tournament, but I've got Lipscomb in there. The Missouri Valley Conference, I've got Loyola Chicago back in. I've got Sister Jean back in the tournament after their final four run last year, mostly just to annoy all those Tennessee fans that decided to say mean things to Sister Jean for no reason because they can't think of anything smarter to say than just swear at a nun. Real classy there, guys, as always. So I've got Loyola Chicago getting in. The Southern Conference, I've got Wofford over Furman, even though both of those teams have a legitimate claim to an at-large bid. But again, win this tournament, you're in automatically. The Colonial Athletic Conference, the CAA, I'm going with Charleston getting that one. The MAC, the Metro Athletic uh, Association Conference, or however that is, Metro Area Athletic Conference, I think is how you do that. It's two A's in there. I've got Iona, the Gales, they're the regular season uh, champs. I'm going with them. Uh, The West Coast Conference, Gonzaga, of course, they've killed everybody out in the West Coast, so I've got Gonzaga getting that one. The Summit Conference, I've got the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State and Mike Duom, who also is on the top 10 in all-time NCAA scoring list as well. So it would be great to have these big scores in there. The Horizon League, I've got the Norsemen of Northern Kentucky. The Northeast Conference, I've got St. Francis, Pennsylvania, getting that one. The Patriot League, I've got Bucknell. And in the American East Conference, I'm going with the Terriers of UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore Campus, or Baltimore County, because why not? They knocked off UVA last year. Why not have the Retrievers back in this one and just go at it? It would be great to see UMBC back in the tournament. Probably won't win another one, but still, be cool to have it. And just maybe they'll just email or uh, email uh, ship a bunch of pens to Seth Davis again and be like, "You're gonna want to write us in pen this time, buddy." That was just an amazing moment. So those are my picks. We of course we'll break down more conference tournaments next week here on Modern Day Gladiators. We're gonna take a break and be back with all the other sports news that we've got with shibbles and bits after the break here on Modern Day Gladiators. Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, here to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. Michael Shibley, still your host, still bringing everything. We're going to get into shibbles and bits. You hear the music, so of course you know we're going to talk about all the other news and sporting information that's been happening where it might have fallen through the cracks or not covered the right way, so I've got some interesting stories in here. Would love to present you guys. First, of course, I got to give a shout out though to the Tennessee baseball and softball teams as they continue their winning ways. UT baseball off to their best start in program history. They are now 13 and 0. 
Best start ever, as I said. Uh, they're up to uh, rank number 21, so they're finally into the baseball top 25. And they play a three-game set with Fresno State this weekend here at beautiful Lindsey Nelson Stadium in Knoxville. Hopefully the rain will behave and the guys will be able to get the baseball games in. So that should be awesome. Meanwhile, the Lady Vols softball team up to uh, number seven in the polls. They've won eight straight. They had the last two games of the tournament they were playing out in California canceled because of rain out there over the weekend, but they still won the first three out there. SEC play now begins for SEC softball and the Lady Vols, they don't start it off easy as the 7th ranked uh, Lady Vols are playing the number 4 Florida Gators in Gainesville this weekend. So here's hoping that the Lady Vols can find a way to win at least 2 out of 3. That would be a great start. We'll see what happens there and of course we'll talk more about that here on Modern Day Gladiators. The NFL Combine happened this weekend which I've never been a big fan of. I understand the reason for it. Believe me, it's great to see a lot of these guys get their measurables in and get these ratings and all this stuff, but just the non-stop coverage of it is just exhausting when you've got all this great basketball going on as well. I understand, again, these are great for guys like uh, like Shaquine Griffin last year, the uh, Central Florida linebacker who only had the one hand, who was a star at the Combine, and his numbers got him into the draft and getting him being drafted. Or guys like uh, Buffalo quarterback Tyree Jackson, 6'7", 249. He runs uh, a, a, a sub 4640. So, again, those are guys who are going to get their name on the board. But then you got guys who are already going to go high, like Kyler Murray, and the fact that they had to, everybody was waiting, and they were promoting this for hours on ESPN, it seemed like, waiting for bated breath. Oh, what's what's uh, Kyler Murray's weight and height and hand size going to be? I don't know why you need these types. I, I get it for people, but... We, we already can see that the guy can play football. He's played at Oklahoma. He won a Heisman Trophy. There's plenty of footage on him being awesome. You might not have all the footage on some of these other guys, but you got plenty of footage on him just being awesome and doing great things at Oklahoma. And again, the, the height thing. I don't care about the height. You've got Drew Brees, who's under you know, six feet tall. You've got uh, Russell Wilson who is 5'10 as well. You've got these guys who have done very well in this league, and I, I don't care about any of that. What I care about is if this guy is going to be able to make that third and eighth pass that you need to keep the drive extended. Is he going to be able to do that on a regular basis? Because if he can do that, he's going to be fine. The, uh, the guys on Pardon the Interruption on ESPN brought up a great point. Brock Osweiler, he's 6'8". And do teams want him? No. So there's your line when it comes to things. So much, yes, the measurables are great, but that eyeball test means a lot. If you think you can, and I understand how much having a franchise quarterback means to all of these teams, because you look at what Tom Brady has done. You look at what these other guys, you have a leader as a quarterback. I understand that because, trust me, you draft a guy like Jamarcus Russell and you are irrelevant for a long, long time. So I understand that point of it. But if you feel like you want him and you think he can be good for your team, draft him. 
If not, don't make excuses about the hike. The biggest thing, honestly, the score I care about the most out of Combine Weekend, if there's anything I really care about, it's the Wonderlick test, especially when you're looking at quarterbacks. If the guy has good numbers and then scores really well on the Wonderlick test, which I think the high is a 50, the average is a 20, I want my quarterback to at least have probably a 35 on the Wonderlick, which is a, a basic IQ test I, is what it is. Give me a guy with a 35 and good measurables, I'll have him all day long. Does that pan out all the time? No, but I think it's a good thing to have, especially the way the game is right now. Yes, athletics is great, but you got to have a brain to play quarterback and play it well in this league over a long period of time. Moving back to college basketball real quick, three men convicted of pay-for-play schemes uh, from Adidas to Adidas-sponsored schools. Uh, they were sentenced on Tuesday. Former uh, ad executive James Gatto got nine months. Consultant uh, Merle Code got six months. And aspiring sports business manager uh, Christian Dawkins was sentenced to six months. It's really interesting because it looked like the uh, recommended sentence it was probably going to be about three years for all of these guys, but those were very light sentences when all is said and done. And what's really interesting when you look at it is how throughout the sentencing and the argument how the schools were considered the victims. The schools knew where this money was coming from, and if you if you disagree with that, I can't help you with much if you don't believe that. So it's going to be real interesting as more of this stuff comes, and this is just the first part of it. There's going to be more trials with everything, but I was very surprised on how light the sentences really were, and especially because all these guys are going to be at, yes, it's still prison, but they're going to be at the, one of those minimal security club-fed prisons where it's not that bad, really, with, with when you consider some of the other places that they could go. So that was kind of sad to see that it wasn't as bad of time that they're going to spend in jail. They were all convicted again in October of felony wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud, accused of funneling money from Adidas to families of high-profile recruits to get them to go to specific Adidas-sponsored schools. So we'll see more of that. Uh, Roger Federer, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, he won his 100th uh, title over the week, uh, beating Stefanos uh, Sitpas of Greece, 6-4-6-4 at the Dubai Championships. Uh, Sitpas, he defeated Federer in the Australian Open, so it's a little good revenge there for Federer. Uh, again, 100th title. Only Jimmy Connors has more singles titles with 109. So congratulations to a true winner who we always salute here on Modern Day Gladiators, and that is Roger Federer. Uh, me- moving on to some of the buffoonery going on. In the world of sports, ex-NFL head coach for the Green Bay Packers and Super Bowl winning coach Mike McCarthy, uh, he was at his stepson's high school basketball game uh, with Notre Dame Academy. They had a one-point loss there in Wisconsin to Pulaski High School. And video shows Mike McCarthy followed the referees out of the gym and berated them for their officiating. Uh, And then, of course, there was a complaint submitted to the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association. Just buffoonery on all bounds. Just, again, it's high school basketball. Really, the refs, you should be happy they have referees at all anymore. I've seen too many videos of youth football and high school sports, of violence, and some really bad things against referees. So just back off on the refs. They're doing a really good service. I would never want to be a ref. Uh, 
And the fact that these guys go out and do it and seem to enjoy it, just let them have that, please, for crying out loud. So, again, this is just buffoonery is what the word I'm thinking of when it comes to that. Uh, speaking of buffoonery, we had a student manager in a Division II basketball school had a little buffoonery of his own. Uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, whatever, they're the number two ranked team in Division II basketball. Uh, they're the Crimson Hawks. They showed up to play conference foe uh, Edinburgh. It was a 100-mile uh, bus ride, but the team manager forgot to bring the uniforms. So uh, the uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania Crimson Hawks uh, had to wear the Fighting Scots of Edinburgh. They had to wear their old road uniforms. So both teams had Edinburgh on the logo, but the home Edinburgh Fighting Scots had their white on, and then uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania had the Edinburgh road uniform red on. Uh, But... Uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania got the last laugh as the Crimson Hawks uh, defeated the Fighting Scots 87-59 to win the third straight Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference Western Division, also the 300th win for IUP coach Joe Lombardi. So all's well that really ends well when it comes to that, but just a a mistake, and uh, hopefully maybe the coach will just make him uh, run some stadium steps or something for forgetting, and that's all that happens of that. But yeah, just... A good light-hearted moment is, whoops, uh, forgot the uniforms, so, <laughs> but that happens. Uh, something that was more serious that we got to talk about here, the UEFA's Champions League, they're into quarter or, uh, quarterfinal action, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, they're in the first round, round of 16, the Sweet 16 of the UEFA Champions League, and again, with this you play, the teams play a home-and-home, and, home, and the scores compounded on aggregate, or whoever scores the most goals throughout the two games wins. If there's a tie in aggregate, away goals carry more, and then you advance, and then you play. These are all the big club teams in Europe. But three-time defending UEFA Champions League champs, Real Madrid are out in the Sweet 16 after losing 4-1 to to a Dutch team Ajax of Amsterdam. They lost 5-3 to on aggregate. So... Uh, Ajax, they lost 2-1 to one to Real Madrid in their home place. And usually you have a big advantage on your home pitch in soccer. And then they get blown, Real Madrid gets blown out at the Bambao 4-1 to one to lose 5-3 to three on aggregate, which was just amazing. This is a big upset. This is huge. This is a... You know, like a 15 seed knocking off a two, really, when it comes to that. I'm saying it that way because Real Madrid doesn't have Cristiano Ronaldo anymore. He's playing with Juventus in the Italian league, so there is that. But still, it's Real Madrid. They've got plenty of talent there still. So the fact that they lost this one was a a, a very big upset. Um, It's the first Dutch team to advance to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League since PSV Eindhoven did it in 2007, and this snaps an eight-year of Real Madrid making at least the Champions League semifinals. So again, three-time champ, eight times to the semifinals in a row. They are out, so we're going to have a new uh, UEFA Champions League champion this year, and of course we'll talk more about that once that gets heated up even more uh, in the weeks to come here on modern day gladiators and now this story is for my dad i i found this 
And it's amazing. My father uh, plays bridge. He plays in some bridge tournaments uh, locally in Asheville and also when he comes to visit here in Knoxville. But I figured he would appreciate this story because I know he's out there listening. Uh, The world number one bridge player was handed a one-year ban for doping. Yes, Bridge, the card game that most people consider with a bunch of old ladies, has a doping problem. Uh, Bridge authorities uh, are looking at the sport's totally unsuitable anti-doping rules after world number one Yair Halemo was banned for a year, says the Monaco Bridge Federation. Halemo, he's Norwegian but represents Monaco in the world sport. Okay. Uh, He tested positive for banned substances, uh, clomiphene, a female fertility drug, this is a guy, and uh, synthetic testosterone. This is just this is just hilarious on so many levels. Uh, the ban is going to expire on the 20th of November, so it's retroactive to the last time he took the drug test. The Monaco Bridge Federation says it regrets Halemo's sanction. Uh, experience shows that anti-doping regulation cannot be applied without discernment to the brain sport of mind games, the Federation President uh, Gilbert Vivaldi told BBC Sport. Uh, do you think testosterone levels can seriously influence intellectual performance? And uh, they said, we regret that such a talent as hair, Halemo was sanctioned under an anti-doping regulation that is certainly adapted to physical sport, but totally unsuitable for brain sport. I don't know about that. You can do some focusing things with some of this blood doping and performance enhancing drugs and different things like that. Trust me. Um, it is amazing. Of course, there's also the rule that... Uh, is bridge really a sport? You could talk about it. It's a game. It's definitely a game. We'll talk about that. Uh, but uh, Halegmo, he he's 49 years old. He provided a sample of the World Bridge Series in Orlando back in September. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, again, the argument is, are they performance enhancing or not? Again, if it's in the rule book, don't, don't take it. Uh, Herr Halegmo... They're saying the Norwegian Bridge Authority, whatever they're saying. He was previously played for the Norwegian national team and our biggest star. Many within the bridge community know care and respect him. It is his responsibility not to take substances that are on the doping list, even though in this instance they are not performance enhancing in bridge. Uh, Halemo is not the first bridge player to be found using banned substances. This is also amazing. Uh, The World Bridge Federation recognized by the International Olympic Committee and such abides by the World Anti-Doping Agency rules. So yes, it might not be ruled a sport, but they still follow the uh, International Olympic Committee abiding rules. So you need to pay attention to that. Apparently, uh, I know my dad is not taking any of these drugs. He's so he, my dad's clean. If, if my dad wants to represent the United States on the World Bridge uh tournament level, he's fine. He's got clean when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs. Apparently, uh, WADA figures there, the World Anti-Doping Agency, showed that 3.6% of bridge players had returned adverse analytical findings. And that's also the case. Halemo and world number two, fellow Norwegian Thor Hellness of 61, were both also convicted of tax evasion in 2017. So again, kids, the lesson is out there. Uh, Don't do drugs and don't cheat on your taxes. 
So there you have it. Just I was just amazed that I found a bridge story, but Dad, that one's for you if you're out there listening. So I hope you appreciate that. Moving on, of course, to the world of professional wrestling as we wrap up the show this week. Uh, sad news again, another uh, legend of the rock and wrestling era, uh, King Kong Bundy. He passed away at age 61 the last couple of days. Uh, best known for many fans as with the Steel Cage match versus Hogan at WrestleMania 2. His nickname, of course, by Gorilla Monsoon was the Walking Condominium. Six foot four, 458 pounds. That avalanche. I mean, that was the big thing. Saturday night's main event where he, a uh, month before WrestleMania 2, he ambushes Hulk Hogan and just rams the avalanche in attack of the turnbuckle into Hogan's back. And then he jumps on him with a couple uh, big splashes while Hogan's laid out. So the big thing was, can Hogan with the injured back be able to face the monster that was King Kong Bundy? Of course, Hogan was able to do that and climb out the cage after slamming him. So again, rest in peace, King Kong Bundy. Uh, he did face The Undertaker also at WrestleMania 11. So there was that. He returned as part of the Money, Inc. Uh, faction with Ted DiBiase. Uh, back in uh, the mid-90s with the WWE. So again, just a top wrestling heel, and uh, he will be missed in the world of wrestling. Also, Tori Wilson will, I guess, be the women's inductee into the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. I'm not playing her theme music because, one, it wasn't great, and again, Tori wasn't sure. You're looking for a woman every year. You're going to have to start putting in women who I doubt are probably... That deserving, but hey, she did her job. She did it well. I'm not even going to mention the Al Wilson storyline with Dawn Marie. It's not even worth getting into. So, but hey, congratulations to her making it into the WWE Hall of Fame. Big news just breaking as well. NXT champion Tommaso Ciampa has to have some neck surgery. He's been held out the last couple of weeks on Raw and SmackDown after making that debut debut with Johnny Gargano. It looks like he's got some neck problems. Uh, it looks like now he could be out for up to six months with a neck surgery. They were hoping to at least get him to the NXT TakeOver coming up in a month right before WrestleMania where he could probably then drop the title, probably to Johnny Gargano, the way the storylines were going. But it looks like uh, they're going to have to change things up because if he's got to have surgery, he's going to be out for a while, which is just heartbreaking. He came back from that torn ACL and having the best run of his career. He was going to set the longevity record for being NXT champion. Uh, now the big thing is, who's going to be champ? Are they going to run it with Gargano? Uh, is Velveteen Dream, even who just beat Gargano for the North American Championship, Pete Dunne, maybe move him over? Of course, he's got business with Walter in NXT UK, Adam Cole, Baby, maybe him. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see. Of course, we'll talk more about that here as well on Modern Day Gladiators. But of course, we got to talk about what happened as well this week as we've got on SmackDown, new United States champion Samoa Joe. He beat uh, in the R-Truth uh, U.S. Open Challenge. He defeated R-Truth, Rey Mysterio, and Andrade, so he gets the win. Finally, a singles title for Samoa Joe on the main roster. Been a long time coming. Congratulations to Samoa Joe. Hopefully he gets a good run with it and we get some good things with it because the U.S. title has had some issues of not being really that important with uh, you know being held by Shinsuke Nakamura, Rusev, R-Truth. It's been just, just not that important, which has been sad. So... Hopefully Samoa Joe uh, does some good things with it. Also on Raw, 
Uh, Ronda Rousey turned heel at the end of the show, just finally had had it with the fans for booing her at Staples Center and turning on her. So she's turned her back on them and just beat the crap out of Becky Lynch. And of course, we'll break down all of that here in a second as WWE Fastlane is here. It's happening this Sunday on the WWE Network. Uh, the first match on the kickoff show, which I'm very upset about, Rey Mysterio versus Andrade. Really? The kickoff show? All these other matches you could probably have, you've got that one on the kickoff show? Are you... Rey Mysterio and Andrade have had some great matches on SmackDown over the past couple of months, and they've got this one, which could showcase both of them and just be a real big showcase for moving Andrade to the next step. And you've got it on the kickoff show. Yes, they'll have plenty of time, but it's not going to give them the eyeballs that they were wanting. So that's really upsetting. Uh, I do have Andrade getting the win for what that's worth, but I'm really mad that that's on the kickoff show. The Raw Tag Team Championships on the line. Revival defending against Aleister Black and Ricochet, and also the team of Bobby Roode and Chad Gable in a triple threat match. I've got the Revival retaining in that one. SmackDown Tag Titles on the line versus... The Usos defending against The Miz and Shane. Of course, uh, Miz's father's going to be there. They've talked about that as how him winning the tag team titles of SmackDown with Shane is the greatest moment of his life. The fact that Miz has been world champion and main evented at WrestleMania against John Cena. Apparently, they have just forgotten about that part of Miz's character. But anyway, I've got the Usos retaining and some shenanigans happening there in Cleveland. The Women's Tag Championships on the line. The Boss Hug Connection of Sasha Banks and Bayley defending against Nia Jax and Tamina. Again, hopefully Sasha Banks. Every time Sasha Banks wins a title on the main roster, uh, she's always lost it in her first defense. Hopefully they'll defend here and have some better opponents for WrestleMania for the Women's Tag Team Championship. SmackDown Women's Championship on the line. Asuka is defending against Mandy Rose, who of course has been cheating and causing all types of problems. Hopefully Asuka just destroys her in about five minutes and goes on to WrestleMania. I do have Asuka winning that as well. The Shield has reunited. That was another big thing that happened on Raw. Uh, Reigns, Rollins, and Ambrose are going to team, it looks like, one more time because, again, it looks like Dean Ambrose is leaving right after WrestleMania. The trio of them is going to face the heel team of Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, and Bobby Lashley. I've got the Shield getting the win there. Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair has happened because what happened on Raw, Stephanie was under the impression that Ronda gave up her belt, so it was going to be Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair for the Raw Women's Championship, but now Ronda is still champ because she's like, I didn't give it up, so Stephanie just gave it right back to her, and now it's Becky versus Charlotte where if Becky Lynch is able to win, she will be added to the match between Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania to get us to that triple threat match that I've been saying for months is the way they were going to go. So we'll see there. I do have Becky Lynch getting the win there. And of course, the WWE Championship on the line, Daniel Bryan versus Kevin Owens as Vince McMahon comes out and takes Kofi Kingston out of the match and puts Kevin Owens in instead. Kevin Owens has been getting the upper hand on Daniel Bryan. I I do have Daniel Bryan retaining here, and I do have him facing Kofi Kingston at WrestleMania because it looks like they're going to push that one off until the granddaddy of them all, the show of shows, WrestleMania. But that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Modern Day Gladiators. And of course, you can listen to all the great shows on the Outlander Media Network. If you go to outlandermedia.net, you can check out, of course, Modern Day Gladiators. You can check out Deadbeat Radio, J&B's DLC, Halfle. 
all the other great shows that we've got, the Phantasm podcast and more coming there. Look out for all that stuff. And, of course, you can check us out on Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Like, subscribe, share. Give us those five-star reviews, please. That helps us get out into the algorithm and makes us bigger and badder than ever before. And share it with your friends. Comment. Come at me at Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter. And, of course, you can check us out at Modern Day Gladiators 1 on Instagram. You can also, of course, follow us on Facebook at the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page. I post video updates of things and news as they break. If I need to jump in, that's where that will be. So you can check all that out. You can, of course, outlandermedia at gmail.com is the email address. Any way you can get in contact with us, we would love to hear from you guys and check us all out. That's going to wrap it up for this week. We'll be back as the March Madness continues. We'll break all that stuff down. Can't wait to talk about it. Until next week. Too sweet. Love you. See you next time.